the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Tom Muller, and this is Colorado Issues, and there is an award that is called the Oscar of Teaching, and uh, we're real happy to announce that a teacher from Grandview High School in the Cherry Creek District has uh, been a recipient of that award, and I want to welcome Lisa Rogers. Lisa, good to have you here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um you were surprised, huh? I was absolutely floored. Uh, I, I had, I had no idea the award existed uh, before my name was called, and, and even when Mr. Milken was standing in our auditorium and, and talking about the award prior to calling my name, I remember looking at my colleagues saying, "Did you know such a thing existed? Because I didn't." Uh-huh. Uh, and then even more shocked, of course, when they called my name, I had figured. You know, anybody who's up for an award like this would certainly know, uh, and and I had absolutely no idea. So it was certainly the biggest surprise of my professional history. Oh. I had no idea it was coming my way. That's great. And so he was there, Lowell Milken, yep. who is one of the founders of mm-hmm. this award, was actually there. He was actually present in our auditorium, and, and he was a, a bit of a showman, and he got the kids all excited about what was about to be announced, and uh, he came and, and and did it up for us. How did how did they set you up? What uh, what was it? It was in front of the school. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. How and, was that set and up? We very uh, actually in, in my 13 years at Grandview or 12 and a half, uh, we've never actually had an assembly that was uh, where where all of the students came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually assemblies are at the end of the day, and, and students can choose to come or not. And we knew this was a big deal. When our principal the, the prior week had said we were having an assembly during class, absolutely mandatory, you all must come. And that's just never happened. And so that's how they got us all there. Uh, and the premise was we knew that it was a teacher award. They told us that there would be a, a teacher receiving an award, uh, but they wouldn't give us any other information at all. And so she sent out a couple emails that was like, you must come, you must come. And of course, I, you know, I'm, I'm a rule follower and she knows that. And so, so I walked on down with everyone else and, uh-huh. and there it was. That's how she got me there. Totally oblivious to what it was about. Totally oblivious that it was me. Uh-huh. <laughs> that it was me. Oh man, that is great. Uh, now, not only, uh, was Lowell Milken there, who is the, founder, co-founder of the award, uh, but uh, also I understand that uh, uh, somebody from the state of Colorado was there? Uh, the CDE, yes, the Colorado Department of Education. She she was there and gave a short speech um, just about the award and some of the amazing things that's happened at Grandview and um, just kind of our history of success and yeah. building and all the things that have uh-huh. happened. So she was there and then uh, you know, our superintendent was there and, and to be honest, when uh, when I walked into the gym and I saw all of these dignitaries present and said, gosh, well, it certainly isn't me. I don't know any of those people. <laughs> and then and there we were. <laughs> so, so there were there was quite a collection of, of of dignitaries present. Now you you had mentioned to Lowell Milken that you've never heard of him or his award. Huh? No, 
I had never heard of it at all. I, I hadn't heard the family name, um, which, you know, in, in hindsight, I must have had my head in the sand. <laughs> uh, but that's what the first words I said to him were. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to Google you because I had, I had no idea that, that there was the family foundation. And since then, I've done some reading about some of the pretty incredible things mm-hmm. that they do. Um, uh, not only in the education sector, but outside of that as well. And, uh, when I told my mom the name, you know, on, mm-hmm. that afternoon, she knew the name. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I was even more embarrassed at that point. But it just goes to show, you know, when you live in your own little world, <laughs> you miss some things. How did he take it? Oh, very, very kindly. He was very polite. He laughed it off, and uh-huh. and uh, you know it probably could have come up with a better uh, a better opening <laughs> phrase than that. But those are the words when you when you surprise someone, you you just get what you get. I guess yeah. <laughs> right. Now, is or was your mom an educator? She was actually. So that's how she knows the name. Uh, well, and she when I said to her, so she lives in Texas now, and she taught math, middle school math for for many years. Uh, she actually recognized it. She thought from PBS. She thought she'd seen it on, uh, as a mm-hmm. commercial on PBS. And so that was her connection to the uh, name. And so yeah. <laughs> that's where she, she drew those lines. Well, uh, uh, tell us what – now, you teach at a high school. I do. Tell us what you teach and a little bit of your teaching background. Sure. Uh, so I teach at, at Grandview High School, like I said, and I've been there my entire teaching career. It's a fantastic school in a great district, and I, and I can't imagine going anywhere else and doing anything different than what I do right now. Uh, I teach ninth grade physical science, and that and that class is just your regular old 14-year-olds show up. Um, you know, some of them are more interested in video games than books, but just, just your standard ninth grade kid. Um, and they do, we do um, earth science and physics with them at the ninth grade level. And then I teach advanced placement biology, and that advanced placement biology is is an, an honors advanced course, and that goes to 10th graders, 11th graders, or 12th graders, kind of depending on where they are in, mm-hmm. in their science education. Uh, and that one, of course, we do the, the college board curriculum, and they you know, follow through and do the labs. And it's a, it's a full year of college level biology that mm-hmm. we do, uh, at, at that, in that class. And so those kids come in and, and we're, are very driven, very driven kids. And, and those kids often will go to Ivy League schools and, and things of that nature. So I have really the two ends of the spectrum, both with regard to, uh, what they're looking to get out of their education, but then also how invested they are and how interested they are. And, um, it, it really is kind of a, an interesting way to be a teacher because you get such different experiences with those two different groups of kids. That's interesting. Tell us, uh, give us some examples of the two different experiences and how you deal with it, how you uh, involve them to really learn. Well, and I think, uh, and this, I, I won't know for sure exactly why my name sifted to the top of the Milken Award pile, <laughs> uh, but I think dealing with those two different groups of kids and trying to get all of them invested in science and all of them to recognize the importance of science in their lives and, and asking important questions and answering good questions and being able to tell the difference between fact and fiction. I mean, that's the kinds of things we're working with. Looking at my ninth grade students, these are the kids that um, when you can get them interested, you can get them over that hump of, I'm no longer trying to be cool at school. I'm, I'm actually looking at kind of a fun relationship or I'm measuring velocity or I'm determining the density of the earth or something like that. It's such an interesting thing to see the the light switch flip, right? The light bulb turn Mm -hmm. on for those kids Uh, and to see, okay, I'm not going to ask you to to read a bunch of passages because you don't want to. And if you don't want to, you're not going to. And um, dealing with those students and trying to at least get them to recognize the involvement of science in their lives 
I think is a huge step in the right direction um, because then they can at least leave ninth grade or leave high school being scientifically literate and recognizing that they have to really take a critical eye to the things that they see in the world around them. The AP bio students, on the other hand, those are students who are insanely driven and are already curious, and they're going to be your doctors and they're going to be your surgeons. Um, they're going to solve the problems of the world. And not to say that the, the students in physical science won't also, but just at this point, those AP biology students already recognize that. Mm-hmm. And so they come into me and they are uh, they want to understand every single detail of every single thing that I say, and, and they're, they'll, they'll send me emails and in the middle of the night, and Mrs. Rogers, I was just doing my lab, and I don't understand question four. Uh, and so there's a lot more um, uh, involvement with the AP Bio students in a content sort of way. Uh, and so you have to, what I've come to realize with teaching in general is that you have to meet these kids where they're at, right? And and hmm. and that's what's so interesting about having these two ends of the spectrum is that the AP Bio kids are just in a different place emotionally when it comes to their own education than the physical science students. But no matter what, it's my job to meet them where they are and get them invested and move them forward. Um, and I think that's my goal and my job as an educator is no matter where you're starting, we have to be moving forward. And obviously, then, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Oh, absolutely not. And and I think that the, the diversity of students I get in both of my classes, I mean, at the ninth grade level, those those students might come to me from different middle schools or different districts or, or come to me with English as a second language, um, sorts of, I don't want to call them barriers, but kind of a paradigm that we're working with. And then in the AP students, I have some students who are sophomores who've never taken biology in their life, all the way up to students who are seniors who've taken a year of biology, possibly also anatomy and physiology. And in the end, it doesn't matter where you start as long as we're moving forward with the curriculum. And so it certainly can't be a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. model. We have to have some sort of variety in student choice and letting students decide for themselves what they want to learn and how they want to learn it. Of course, within the confines that we're going to be doing science and we're going to be meeting the state standards, but there's still that option for a kid to say, you know, I'm more interested in volcanoes than earthquakes, so I want to learn more about volcanoes today, and now I'll deal with the earthquakes just in a smaller assignment later. Those are the kinds of approaches that I have to take in my classroom to hit more kids and get more kids to learn when they otherwise wouldn't. Now, you've been teaching how long? So at, at Grandview, 12 and a half years, right and, at 12 and a half and years. And total teaching. Yep, that's it. Oh, I've okay. only been that's at, it. That's only been at Grandview. Oh, wow. And so I did, you know, of course, when you're in graduate school, you, you do some teaching at the graduate school level. So I taught up at CSU for a couple of years while I was getting my master's. But uh, as far as public education, uh-huh. I have only ever been to Grandview. I was fortunate. Uh, Dr. Bull, who's now our superintendent, was the principal at Grandview uh, 12 years ago. Mm. And he's the one who hired me. So so. He was at that ceremony. He said, you know, I knew it. I knew it twice. <laughs> um, and so, and I can't imagine leaving. Uh, the, the school is really fantastic. Uh, I'm given the liberty to do what I think is best for kids. And, and they trust me. They trust me to do my job on a daily basis without a lot of oversight, which I think is a very powerful thing for a teacher. What was the, the learning curve, if any? Uh, in terms of, like you say, meeting kids right where they are, uh, you know, you have spectrums there. Mm-hmm. And through that 12, 13 years, 
Was there a learning curve, or have you always been sort of tuned into where people are? No, there's absolutely a learning curve. And and I think um, if I think back to 2005, you know, when I was so green and I was so new, I, I – was writing lesson plans that were very uh, direct. You know, every student will do X. Every student will come in with this background knowledge. And, and it was very uh, prescribed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, next we do this worksheet, then we watch this video, and then we take these notes. Uh, and it was absolutely a learning curve. And I would say it probably took me the better part of a decade to realize that when you teach like that, you leave behind a lot of kids and you leave many students uninterested because they've already learned what you're asking them to learn. And so we just have these questions of how do you meet that student where they are and engage them if they've already learned the content or to meet them where they are at if, you know, they missed the prerequisite knowledge when they were in middle school. And so, um, no, it was absolutely a learning curve. And then figuring out what do you do about it, right? Because there's one of me and there's 32 of them. So, <laughs> so, so, so how do you figure out where each student is and then work with them within that context? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the part that is really, uh, the most challenging part, I think, of teaching. But it's also the most rewarding part because that's when you get to build relationships with kids. When you see, you know, I recognize that you're an individual. You're not just a cog in the wheel here. And I, I will meet you where you're at. Now, in meeting 32 kids, you know, here's one against 32 right. <laughs> or 32 against one. Um, obviously, you you meet them and it's not against, but it's just it's got to be daunting. How long do you have those kids all year? Uh, yes. Right now, the, okay. the classes I'm teaching currently, um, I have those students all year. That's correct. All right. So you begin the year. Now, some of those kids you probably knew going in mm-hmm. and other kids you, you didn't. Correct. Um so, you know, how do you parse those 32 uh, and get to know them and get to know what they're, where, where they are? Right, where, yeah. where I'm supposed to meet them. Yeah. I think that what's so interesting is the month of August is, is a crucial month for any teacher. And I think no matter who you have sitting in this chair, they would tell you that, that in the month of August, you are learning what you're going to do for the entire school year. And you become very intentional with the the labs you assign and the tasks you give to students. Uh, and and at, at least at, in my office, what I end up doing is I, I get these 32 papers at the end of, you know, a particular assignment. And I sort them and I sort them into groups because ultimately if there are 32 of them and I need to meet them you know, wherever their place is, I can chunk them. And that's what it becomes interesting for. You know, you can say, okay, these are my really low learners and, and those are the kids that are going to need the most amount of attention to get them to grow. And these are my really high learners and these are the kids that are going to uh, need an extension or, or a slightly more rigorous prompt. Or they're going to be able to read more in the same amount of time than my than my struggling learners. And then we have these kids in the middle, um, which is frankly where most kids fall, right? Right somewhere mm-hmm. there in the middle. And so you just start learning um, who your students are, and and that tends to run through the entire school year. Who who they are, what their backgrounds are, and who's going to need more support, and who's going to need need a, a modified reading guide or or something like that. Where does the scaffolding really come in? And, and like I said, I don't think it matters if you were talking to a high school teacher or a third grade teacher. We all have that same month where you're just figuring out where are you academically, where are you emotionally, where are you socially, um, and 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 where do you fall within my spectrum of kids? And then you become very good as a teacher. You become very good at grouping because you're right. One one to thirty two is in a mm, ratio yeah. <laughs> that really can be dealt with. But if you can group kids into four or five chunks. That's a manageable ratio. Oh, man. Really meeting people where they are. 
Has that always been you? Uh, I would like to think so, but I somehow don't think that that would be an <laughs> honest thing for me to say. Uh-huh. I really, I mean, I, I, I think I probably started with the whole, you know, get it together, mm-hmm. you know, to my students, right? You, you need, yeah. this is the task at hand, make it happen. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that as I've grown and matured as, as an educator, I think I recognize that that's just not a philosophy that works for most kids. It's, mm-hmm. it's a philosophy that works for a small fraction of them. Sure. But ultimately what it comes down to is that students, especially at the high school age, need to be recognized as individuals and they need to know that you see them as people rather than just, you know, blank faces mm-hmm. sitting in front of you. And so I'd be lying to you if I told you that this is always how it's been since 2005. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I think any teacher would tell you, gosh, if I reflect back on what I did that first year of teaching, I would need to do a lot of apologizing <laughs> because I, I just I wasn't as good uh, at seeing kids for individuals uh, Mm -hmm. as I am today. I guess what motivates my question is, how does the kind of person you are factor into what you've become? Well, I think a lot of the, the, I guess, the feeling of my classroom uh, is is just one of of love, I hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and And I think that that's what makes my classroom special. It's because kids, I hope feel safe there and feel comfortable saying, hey, you know what, Mrs. Rogers, I don't get this. Right? I just don't understand what I was supposed to do. Or, you know, I turned this in and I didn't get a grade I'm proud of. I don't understand why. And so I think meeting kids on, on an emotional level is something that good teachers have to be willing to do. And, and that's what allows a student to be vulnerable in, in your space. Because mm-hmm. once they're willing to acknowledge where they feel their shortcomings are, that's when we really do start to see growth. Um, and so that's my hope for what, what's happening in my classroom. <laughs> I'm speaking with Lisa Rogers, who is a teacher at Grandview High School in the Cherry Creek District and a recipient of uh, an award. It's a national award uh, given to really a small number of teachers uh, nationally known as the Oscar of Teaching Award, the Oscars of Teaching, the Milken Award. Uh, and th- this is always fascinating to, to hear uh, this because, I mean, we if there's anything that's ubiquitous for all of us, it's having gone to, to school. <laughs> gone to school, yep, we've all been there. <laughs> and and uh, we've had good teachers and we've had not-so-good teachers. Mm-hmm. We've had teachers that we could skate and mm-hmm. get away with it. Uh, and, uh, and we had teachers that really didn't know how to correct us, you mm-hmm. know, and, and things. Uh, as on your learning curve, can you think of, uh, oh, one or two things that stand out that say, yeah, this, this is something that really taught me, uh, as a young teacher and I was learning along the way that helped get me to where I am now? So I, I, this is going to sound terrible, but it wasn't until probably my fourth or fifth year of teaching when I started to realize that when students weren't successful, it wasn't because the student wasn't trying. It's because I didn't teach them. Hmm. And and turning around that moment um, where a student earns a poor grade and instead of saying, hey, you know what, you just didn't do your job. To look in the mirror and say, you know what, somehow I didn't do my job. And that's not true for every kid who's who's not successful. Sure. But when you've got a student in your class who's doing what you're asking them to do and you're turning in their homework or, or whatnot, 
and to turn around and give them a summative assessment of some kind and be like, you know, you didn't learn it. Well, that's my fault. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that I don't know that it was a moment as much as it was maybe a semester when I started really looking at kids and their growth and seeing that that growth had to do with me, not them. Um, that was very seminal uh, because I wanted to not be the person who wasn't catching kids, mm-hmm. who wasn't correcting them, um, because it's very powerful. It's very powerful for me to be able to step into a student and say, I think you can do better. Let's figure out how you learn so that you can do better. Mm. Now, as along the way, either as a student yourself or uh, a teacher, are there role models along the way that inspired you? Oh, my! so my graduate teacher, Amy Riken, back at the University of Puget Sound, I will never forget her. In fact, she's the first non-family member I told when I got this award. Um, she was my curriculum and instruction teacher back at Puget Sound who taught me not only how to teach, but I will never forget this. She said when we graduated with my, you know, there were a cohort of, I think, 16 of us in that particular program. um, She said, reflect, renew, reinvent. And that's what she meant about our lessons. At the end of every lesson, you reflect on how, how it went. You renew the things that need refreshing and you reinvent completely the things that failed. And what she really taught me is that a teacher is never going to be finished, right? I'm never going to write a set of lesson plans that I'm going to reuse for the rest of my career. I'm going to consistently be looking at my students and my lessons and reflect on whether or not those lessons match those kids. And so when I think back to who that role model was, it was her because it was she was the one who who stood up and said, there's no such thing as a perfect classroom. You can drive and push toward perfect and get closer and closer every year, but it's a limit. You're never going to get there. <laughs> you're never going to get there. And when you do get there, it's probably when you should retire. Mm. Because if you're not changing things, that means you're not seeing what needs to be changed. When you were named for the award, did they say why you were named? What were some of the reasons given? Uh, so it was so funny. In the presentation or in the in the assembly, no, they didn't say. Uh, they announced my name. And, and to be frank, at that point, I don't remember much else. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of clapping and screaming <laughs> in interviews. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, in the car on the way to lunch, uh, the, the PR person in the car said, so you know, here's a copy of your biography. And I said, my biography? <laughs> How do you have a copy? Of my, I don't have a biography. <laughs> and sure enough, they had somehow amassed a collection of information on me and had written a biography for me. And so it was in reading my biography <laughs> that I learned <laughs> why it is that I won this award. Uh, and I, I do believe when we were talking earlier about meeting kids halfway. Um, I do spend a lot of time working with technology in my classroom and trying to harness the power of technology to, like we were saying, meet, meet kids where they're at. Um, because with the ninth graders as well as with my, my older students, you know, they all have one of these phones in their pocket. And that's a, a, a tool that I try to harness for good rather than for video games. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of the things that I do is I do a lot of work with videos. And, and it all started very, very small where I would 
you know, make a video of a lab demonstration and then just post it to our website so students who were absent could could participate in that way. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew over time. And um, that apparently was noticed. <laughs> and so they call it blended learning in, mm-hmm. in the world of education or a flipped classroom. It's more blended in the ninth grade where the kids have access to these additional resources. Um, and it's a pretty powerful resource, especially for the kids who struggle with reading either because um, they just don't like to read or they have English as a second language or something like that, to be able to access content in a different way. Hey, what uh, We've got about two minutes. Sure. Um, in the last two minutes, what recommendations would you give to either beginning ch- teachers or teachers along the way uh, who have the same kind of work ethic that you have or uh, youngsters that want to become teachers? Sure. Well, let's start with the new teachers because we have a, a new teacher in my department right now, and, and I see her, and she's you know working ridiculous hours, and she's so exhausted. And I think I think what I would say to a young teacher, a beginning teacher, is be patient with yourself and and know that it does, it's not that the job gets easier, but it becomes more fun when you're less stressed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's the big take-home message. That first year of teaching, you forget to eat if, if you don't have somebody saying, what are you doing? Uh, that would be the take-home message there. And and I think for the uh, an experienced teacher at my stage of the game or beyond, it's that you know, don't get routine with your lessons. Let yourself change it up. Um, and I got to be honest, with all of the teachers at Grandview, they're all in that boat. We're always looking at our lessons and, and, and making changes and making differences um, to try to meet more kids. But I think that would just be the take-home message for these experienced teachers is just to be sure that you're not falling into a rut. Uh, and, and for kids who might want to be educators – I think I would say to them, get ready, hold on tight, because it's going to be a ride. <laughs> and to be honest, they're never it, the job is never boring. Um, I thought when I started that maybe I would do this for four or five years, and then I'd get bored of it. And that is absolutely not the case. And so it's it's a crazy ride hmm. teaching, for sure. So you're in it for the duration. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. Well, congratulations to you. Thank you so much for, for the time this morning and inviting me in to chat with you. I thank you for coming. This is, uh, I, I think, just really, uh, really inspiring. I've been speaking with Lisa Rogers. By the way, uh, I also want to say there is a $25,000 reward that goes with that. <laughs> there is. And you can spend that any way you want. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> it came with a cash prize, which I had no idea such an award even existed, that it comes with a cash prize. Uh, and it does. And so that that money will uh, be invested until it's time for a new car, I think, is, is how that'll go. <laughs> and I, I think that that's also great, that there is a professional award that... Uh, can uh, can really truly be an award uh, financially as well. It's it's just fantastic. Good, a lot of fun. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm Tom Muller, and this has been Colorado Issues.